This is the Hopewell Missionary Baptist Church, Norcross, Georgia. This is our adult Sunday school class. We are so blessed and delighted that you are with us, that you've joined in, and we know you've been praying for us this week. We know that you've been asking God to reveal to the teacher so the teacher can reveal to you what God is saying and asking God to reveal to you personally things that you need him to do. And we thank God for that, for your commitment, for your being here this morning. Before I pray and get into the lesson, I need to make a couple of housekeeping announcements. Um, as you know, beginning next week, our Sunday school class will be live in Faith Hall at Hopewell. However, we will continue to use the conference line to take the Sunday school class. So those who either don't feel good enough, or not good enough, but don't feel uh, like they're ready, quite ready to return to, to church at, um, in a church uh, setting, live setting, will still be able to get Sunday school. Those who are not here in the city with us and who've grown accustomed to listen to us across uh, the nation and other places, it'll still be available to you from 9 and 9.45 as it is virtually. But we will be live next week in Faith Hall. We will all be masked. Uh, and we will all keep our social distance. And as badly as we want to hug and greet each other, we will not do that until this pandemic has totally subsided. But we're going to be there next week, ready to hear the word live and in person, but also online. It would, I would be remiss and it wouldn't be fair to just cut people off who have grown accustomed. And so we're going to continue to do that. And, and, and we're so glad that we'll have an opportunity now to, to, to make a move toward full restoration to church, and then people will be able to come and we'll have our regular class back. Hope that works for you. I look forward to seeing you all next week. And if I don't see you, I look forward to being with you virtually on the line. Let's pray. Ask God's blessings. Ask God's um, pronouncement of his word to us as we study today from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. That's where we'll be today. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you this morning for another blessed opportunity to sit at your feet and be blessed. We thank you, Father God, for your word, for your mercy, and for your grace. We thank you that when we left here last Sunday, there was no guarantee, no warranty that we'd be back here today, but here we are because of your blessings. We thank you, Father God, that we've learned a lot this week that we've learned to pray, that we've learned to fast, that we've learned to focus on you, that we've learned to depend on you. We say thank you. We've had some ups this week. Ah, we've had some downs. But through it all, you've been right there to sustain us. And for this, we say thank you. We thank you for your loving kindness that we feel every time we pray, that we feel every time we think about you. Ah, somebody said, the, the, the more I call you, the better I feel. And the better I feel, the more I call you. So we just call your name, Jesus. Jesus, thy son of David, have mercy on us. Oh God, we haven't always this past week lived up to the standard, but you're still blessed. We haven't always this week done everything we're supposed to do, but you're still blessed. We haven't always this week been the best people we could be, but you're blessed. Father, thank you for that. Oh my God, we love you for that. Father, let those of us connected here uh, virtually, who have some sickness in our bodies, some disease, some things going on, and you are the healer. Heal right now. We know it doesn't matter how long it's been since we've been in this state. 
you can still heal. Heal, Father, right now, and we claim it by faith in the name of Jesus. Now, Father, those of us who are disconsolate, and we need you to be a disconsolate to come in. Wrap your big arms around us. Give us comfort and peace. There are some of us, God, who have some things we're facing this week on our jobs and in our families, and we're a little nervous about it. We're a little anxious about it. But you told us to be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, to make our request known to you, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, we're doing that now, God. We're supplicating. We're bringing it to you, God. You know what we're anxious about. You know what we're concerned about. You know what we're worried about. We're not supposed to. We know we aren't, but we are, God. We're human. And so we pray, God, now that you would grant us peace and that you would take over and fix it, Jesus, like you said you would. We love you today, God. We need you in our finances. Oh, God, bless God financially that we might meet our obligations and that we might do what the Bible instructs us to do, that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Now, God, we pray for our bishop who works so diligently, so tirelessly for the kingdom. God bless him right now from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet. Even God bless him not to be anxious about our restart. I know he's not. He's fully committed. He's fully there. But God bless him anyway. Engulf him with your spirit so that when he opens up next week, God, it will run as smooth as a clock. Do it now, God, for us in the name of Jesus. Now, God bless us as we study your word. Speak to us mightily today. We need to hear from you. We need to hear from you. We are like empty pictures before a full fountain. Fill us now, God, to overflow. Don't let it be routine. Don't let it be business as usual. Don't let it be, aha, uh -huh, mm -hmm. we're just here because we're here. Oh, God, do something great. Provide a refreshing in the name of Jesus. Give us that latter rain. Give us that latter rain. We thank you. We love you. We know you're going to do it for us. Your credit's good with us in Jesus' name. All the people said, <clears throat> amen. Uh, last week, as you know, we dealt with the fact that Father Abraham, the one patriot who is identified with all three of the world's major religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, that Abraham was justified by faith, that Abraham did not on his own accord, on his own effort, do anything that would have made him righteous, but God took his faith and accounted it to him for righteousness. What was Abraham's faith? That he left a polytheistic society down in the Ur of Chaldees, same place where Job lived, by the way, and moved all the way to a land that God was going to show him with only a promise of a promise, wrapped in a promise. <laughs> That's what he did. And Abraham went there and had two sons. The first with his concubine Hagar that produced Ishmael. And Ishmael is the, the current uh, uh progenitor of the Muslim nations as we know them, or people who could consider themselves Muslim, who worship in the, in, the, in the religion of Islam. And he produced Isaac. And through that Isaac line, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel is where, the, where, where Jews come in and where Christians come in because we've been engrafted into the family of Abraham. We have been adopted into the family of Abraham, which is really the family of God. And we are now heirs and joint heirs with Christ. Abraham was the was the the, the 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 sort of father of many nations, but Jesus is our elder brother. Jesus is the one who made us legitimate in the eyes of God. Jesus is the one that made us become siblings. Ah, we are Jesus's 
younger brothers and sisters. He is our elder brother. Now, this Abraham, who was justified by faith, um, that whole concept began to cause not issues, but controversies because Paul was trying to teach these people who were formerly Jews, who were so stylized and stylistic in their worship that it wasn't about rituals. Now, some of us grew up like that. Some of us grew up in great traditions in the Baptist church and great traditions in the Methodist church and great traditions in the AME church and great traditions in the church of God in Christ. And, and because we grew up a certain way, we sometimes will look down our nose at and, and look askance at those who grew up another way and come another way because we have certain rules. You cannot do that if you're a Baptist. You cannot do that if you're a Methodist. You cannot do that. And, and, and so the Jews were. They had 630 plus rules and regulations, and they felt if you kept those, it made you righteous. And Paul had to come along after Jesus had already turned their apricot all the way over and said, it has nothing to do with rules. It all has to do with faith in Jesus Christ. I don't care how good a rule keeper you are. You can't keep them all anyway, but keeping the rule is not what gets you access to the Father. It's faith in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him, not keep rules, whosoever believeth on him, not come to choir rehearsal, whosoever believeth on him, not become a part of the earth boy, whoever believeth on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what Paul is teaching, and it was radical it was uh, breathtaking to hear Paul say that it wasn't your effort that made you righteous. It wasn't your effort that guaranteed your salvation, that it was the effort of Jesus Christ. Ah, so Paul is trying now to teach these people what is going on. And he's teaching now a great theological lesson that you all must grasp. It's the, it's the theological concept of, of justification justification, just as if you had not sinned. God treats you through faith in Jesus Christ, just as if you had not sinned. Paul, as you know, is writing this letter, this particularized letter to the Romans or the Italians or to the Christian church based at the city of Rome. Paul is writing to them, having never visited them. And he has been on it on missionary journeys, but his desire is to get to Rome <clears throat> because of the Christians there were living under adverse circumstances. Paul <clears throat> plans, uh, after he took this, his collection and he got on some other places to Jerusalem, he planned to visit, long, visit Rome. And then based on how good the Romans were to him, he planned on taking that support and then travel down to Spain. So, so this epistle to the, to the Romans served as an advanced goodwill ambassador letter for Paul's visit and his later mission to Rome. Uh, you, see the, you can see the Rome reference in, in, in Romans 15, 22 through 33. Now, in Romans chapter 3 and 4, let's back up and realize what we said before. Last week, I want you to imagine today that this is, uh, you are facing a court case. And the court case you are facing, you have, <laughs> well, what you're risking is, if you're found guilty, it's a life sentence. As a matter of fact, it's a death sentence. Imagine now, you're facing this court case. Get this in your mind. You're dressed as a defendant. 
court's about to begin. The devil tells the judge that he's going to prove that you are guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. The devil has video of you committing sin. He has audio of you committing sin. He has eyewitnesses to your sin. And he has called people to the stand one after another, after another, after another, even those folks that told, told you they would never tell it. The devil has paraded those people through the court. Everybody is there watching. You are seated at a defense table. You are nervous and sweating. And the court is about to begin. And the devil is pointing his bony finger in your face and telling you you're guilty and you're going to hell for everything you've done. And people are laughing at you in the background and the media is there and it's on the front page of the newspaper and CNN is broadcasting it and NBC and ESPN and ABCDEFG. Everybody's broadcasting it. That's how you are when you're in a life of sin. The devil's got you in court. And as court begins, Paul, the apostle, says, I want to make a presentation <clears throat> on behalf of the defendant. Wait, Paul. The defendant's guilty. Everybody knows it. We saw it live and in color like all of us who are old enough to remember seeing Jack Ruby shoot Lee Harvey Oswald after Oswald killed Kennedy. We saw it live in person. Knew he was guilty. What are you putting up a defense for? Because we have the right to put a defense up. So watch this. So here comes the defense. <clears throat> Jesus and Paul for the defense. And they open their defense these way, this way in these words, with these words. And I want you to get a hold of this today in your imagination uh, because the devil will try his best to embarrass you and beat you up in, in the court of public opinion. And as you go through to and fro, but I want you to understand you've got a great defense. Here it starts. Look at the first word of the defendant, defense counsel in Romans chapter five and verse number one. Paul says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wait a minute, Paul. Paul starts his defense with the word therefore. When you're studying the Bible, whenever you see the word therefore, <clears throat> try to figure out what it's there for. Here's what it's there for. Romans 4 and 25, excuse me, 4, yeah, 4 and 25 <clears throat> says, who was delivered, talking about Jesus, for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Paul says that if you were listening to me before, you know that Jesus the Christ was delivered for our offenses, our sin. Jesus had no, he knew no sin. And was raised again. You know, Jesus died. And on the third day, he arose from the dead. The, the tomb is still empty. You can go over there and look at it. It's still empty. It's forever been empty, forever will be empty. But he was raised for our justification. Paul says, because of that, or therefore, Paul says, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. He said, Paul says, I, I, want to, I want to reveal, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, some of the blessings that come with justification and why this poor person sitting here accused is not guilty. Therefore means that Paul drew a conclusion from his remarks on justification by, by faith in chapters one through four, the past tense of the words, being justified indicates that justification or being made right with God is a completed act. <clears throat> it's not something 
the believer is working toward. Let's go over that again. He used the term, therefore being justified, in the case that justification being treated by God just as if you had not sinned <clears throat> or being made right with God is a completed act. It's not something that you as a believer is working toward or working to earn. Just like Abraham was, quote, justified by faith, we too, listen, <clears throat> are made right with God through our faith. The reason I love Romans and Hebrews, y'all know because I'm a lawyer, and so Paul is making these legal arguments, and so it just it just jerks my tears. Oh, because Paul just gets me so excited. That, that, that this justification is a legal term Paul is using. <clears throat> it would be the same thing as not guilty in a court of law. If you got a not guilty verdict in a court of law. Now listen to this, because this will help you along the way. Even in modern courts, not guilty is not the same as innocent. Uh-oh. I didn't say you didn't do it. <clears throat> I didn't say you didn't do it, OJ, because they said you're not guilty. OJ, you know you did it. You left everything at the scene but the Heisman Trophy. I'm not saying you didn't do it, but the courts have declared, the jury has said, God has said, you sinner, David, <clears throat> you sinner, those on the line with David this morning, <clears throat> you are deemed not guilty. We are sinners. We are not innocent. We are guilty, but God is willing to justify us, that is, to declare us not guilty on the basis of faith. Oh my God. This faith is more than believing in the existence of God. We said that last week. It is believing in God and believing God. This faith is committing one's life to willingly obey the Lord. And because we have been justified by faith, one of the blessings that we enjoy is that we have peace with God. We are not on probation. We can go out of the yard. There is no leg control device on your ankle. There's no ankle monitor. God is not running around behind you trying to figure out if you go out of the fence or not and commit sin. You can stop looking over your shoulder. You can stop worrying about the thing going beep, 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 because you've gone too far from the house. <clears throat> you are no longer on probation. You are free in Jesus. Oh, listen, everybody in the courtroom is starting to, starting to freak out a little bit now because most people want you to stay guilty because they're guilty. Most people want you to, to wallow in your sin because they're wallowing in theirs. But Paul said, no, no, no. Paul says, not so. He says, we have peace with God. We've paid the last fine. Jesus said, it's finished. We're not on probation. Our record is wiped clean. <clears throat> you can't find it anywhere. God said, I'll, I'll cast your sins as far as the from, east is from the west. I will throw your sins in the sea of forgetfulness and post a no fishing sign. Yes. Witness after witness. Video after video, tape after tape have, have shown you to be guilty. But Paul says, but when you paid the fee to the lawyer, Jesus, 
faith, you were considered not guilty. Ooh, through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, we have peace with God. Jesus' death took away God's wrath or deep anger from us so that we have real peace with God. As a result, we can rest knowing that there's no longer anything standing between us and a holy God. Ooh, glory to God. Glory to God. Standing, standing before God by grace, Paul says, Paul says, this is special. Paul says, uh, maybe you're not excited about it, Paul says, but I am because uh, Paul says, I'm the chiefest among sinners. Paul says, I'm, I'm, not some, I'm not some apprentice sinner. Paul says, no, no, I got sinning down to an art. Do it every day. Know how to do it. Paul says, but what, 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 what jerks my tears, Paul says, is the fact that I've been justified. Now, that doesn't give me the license to sin. But if I sin, I've got somebody I can turn to because by my faith keeps Jesus on retainer. Let's go on to the next, to the next one. Paul goes on to say in verse two of this Romans five, by whom, that's Jesus, we also have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You can teach a whole seminar on that verse, but I won't do it today. Of course, the words by whom, as you know, refer to Jesus. In the previous verse, it is through the work of Jesus that we have another blessing. The first blessing we have is justification. Say justification. The second we have is access by faith into this grace. Now, what Paul is saying is that with all this stuff in the indictment, all these sins listed one by one, name by name, with witnesses, times, and dates, Paul says, when the bailiff, uh, 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 the, the clerk, excuse me, reads off all these charges against you, Paul says, then the, the judge says, who is God? Will the defendant please rise? And you stand up. And next to you is your court-appointed lawyer, Jesus. <laughs> and the judge says in front of the devil, David Ware, to the charges of sin, enumerated in this indictment. How do you plead? And I say boldly, not guilty, Your Honor. You know the courtroom freaks out. Boy, what do you mean not guilty? Because I've been justified by faith. I'm not guilty. And not only that, I've got access to the judge into his grace. See, 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 we, we, we go to God Dressed as Jesus. <laughs> yeah, see, you don't go to God in your own right. You go to God <clears throat> in the name of Jesus the Christ. Uh, he, Paul says, this, this grace wherein we stand, this portrays Jesus now as our mediator. <clears throat> Paul says, not only is he our defense attorney putting up a legal argument for us, but he's also negotiating with God on our behalf. Don't sentence him, God. Don't sentence her, God. Don't put that to her charge. Don't Let's take that charge off. And let's take that charge off. And let's take that charge off until there are no charges left. Because we are clothed. I tell you, we go to God dressed as Jesus. In Christ's righteousness by faith, 
we can walk up boldly to the bench. Come up to the bench. Defend that. Oh, you don't want to do that when the judge calls you up. You got to go stand in the well and speak to the judge. But we can go boldly up there with our guilty selves. No, we've been declared not guilty. How? By faith. We come freely into God's presence. This term, access, refers to being permitted to see something or to do something that is reserved only for the privileged. Yeah, you get to become VIP. <laughs> you, you don't stand in line. You, you, you don't have to wait. Uh, you, 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 are, you get access. You have a card that you just tap and you go on in. Uh, you don't have to ask anybody, can you come in? They don't have to move the velvet rope to let you come in. The guy at the front just waves you in. Come on in. As believers in Jesus, we have the privilege to enter our Father's presence, which Paul refers to as this grace wherein we stand. The word grace here also refers to God's freely given favor that he gives to sinners who trust in his Son. Our standing in grace or God's favor <clears throat> began with our justification by faith, and it continues even until now. Although grace is unearned favor and undeserved, let me say that again. Although grace, for all of you super religious people who've never committed sin, who don't think about sin, who always say everything perfectly, uh, you've never done anything wrong in your life, you can't remember the last time you had an evil thought or a bad thought, you're perfect. For those of you, let me just tell you again, grace is unearned favor and undeserved. It is not unconditional, meaning that not everybody gets it automatically. Our means of access to God's grace is by faith. Yeah, you just can't, you just can't get it because you want it. You've got to have faith in Jesus. Yeah, in addition, because we are justified, Paul said, that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In other words, since we are justified, quote, by faith, we can rejoice, get happy, glad, go a little crazy in the hope of our future state of blessedness, which we will be sharing the glory of God when we get to heaven. But right now, we're walking through this earth feeling justified, which means that we will soon be conformed completely. Oh, when we transition out of here into the image of Christ, and in essence, we will be like him. That's the ultimate justification. That's the ultimate justification in that uh, 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 we get to go into the judge's chambers. Uh, most defenders can't go in there. Yeah, yeah. We get to go in the judge's chambers and sit down and break bread with the judge because the judge is our father. Because he's Jesus' father. Oh my God. So so what happens? Why does all this matter, Paul? Why does all this matter? Let me tell you why. Because we live in a real three-dimensional world. Every day <clears throat> we live in it. We don't live in heaven. We, we don't we, we do not live in heaven, not yet. And so let's bring this down to some practicality. So Paul says, let me give you some practical application. Let's go to verse three. Paul says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh 
patience. Let me start right there. <clears throat> In this verse, uh, uh, Paul says, we're going to have some trials and tribulations. Jesus told us that too. Paul says, we glory is the same word translated as rejoice in verse two, because we are justified, because we know the outcome. Listen to me now. <clears throat> every trial, every test, every tribulation, we already know the outcome. What do you mean where? We know that all things are working together for our good. Everything that happens may not be good. It won't feel good. It won't look good, but it's for your good. We know that. <clears throat> so Paul says, that's how we're able to negotiate these trials and tribulations. The word, <clears throat> the word tribulation here is daily testing trials. Not sometimes, not the big stuff, not, but daily. Uh, and, and that word tribulation literally means pressure or squeeze. You are under pressure. All the time, my mom used to call it pressure. You're under tremendous pressure. Uh, my daddy said, pressure busts a pipe. You're under tremendous pressure on a daily basis trying to live saved in a sinful world. Trying to keep your composure when people are poking you, when people are, are aggravating you, when people are lying on you, when people are trying to scandalize your name, trying to keep your composure when people are treating you like you're not, like you're not a first-class citizen. Trying to keep your composure when people cut you off in line, cut you off in traffic. Trying to keep your composure when people on your job talk to you any kind of way. When people in your family talk to you any kind of way, treat you any kind of way. Daily trial and privilege so you don't, so you don't start putting Vaseline on your face and taking your earrings off and, and, and talking about, you know, uh, 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 you can catch these hands. Every day, the spirit keeps you calm, hey, with glory and tribulations. Like the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, before they went into the fire, they said, listen, our God can save us, but if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. That kind of blessed assurance allows you on a daily basis to walk through the treacherous pitfalls of life and not give up your heartfelt access to God. Uh, Paul says, and let me tell you something else it does for you. Paul says, not only... Does it work patience? Look at verse five. He said, and patience, experience, and experience, hope. Now, this, now Paul now is describing this growing Christian character. He, he says, this is a continuation of what we just, just learned. He said that, that, that glory and tribulation that develops patience, it uh, allows us through trials to gain experience. Oh, this is not my first rodeo. Listen, for some of y'all, this is not the first time you've been through some stuff you're going through. Quit acting like it is. Quit having an adult fit, laying on the floor, kicking your, kicking your legs and, and acting a nut like you've never been through anything before. You've been through worse than this, and you survive. You know why? Because you're a survivor. You've been through a lot. You've accomplished a lot. You've been through a lot worse than this. If you think back over it, and God delivered you every single time, how do you know that? Where? How do you know God delivered me? Because I'm... I'm in touch with you this morning. You still got your faith. That's how I know you've been delivered. I didn't say you liked it. I didn't say it came out the way you wanted it to. I didn't say it came out the way you, you wrote it out on your paper. But what I'm telling you is because you're on the line this morning, despite what you've been through, you still got faith. You won, whether you know it or not. Ah, because it's worked experience. 
I, and please, God, please, God, whatever you do, God, please deliver me from people who've never failed, who've never suffered law, who've never been made embarrassed, who've never made a mistake. Please deliver me from those perfect people because they make me want to spit up. Because listen, we all have to go through tests and trial. Ah, listen, listen, all of you remember when you were in school and, 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 and you had to take a test midterm or final. Remember how you felt when you knew the material? See, all the A students, they didn't sweat it. They didn't pull no all-nighter. They went up with big old bags under their eyes looking crazy. Hair wasn't combed, teeth wasn't brushed. No. They went to bed. They went to sleep. They still had to take the test, but since they knew the material, they weren't worried about their grade. I knew I was going to get an A in English. I knew I was going to get an A in history. I knew I was going to get an A in social studies. This is something, y'all, I knew in my new, a new, new, new. Yeah. And so I never sweated those things. What? And that's how you have to be about life. You're going to get an A. Why? Because you've got patience. You've been through tribulation. You've been through this before. You know the material. Don't sweat the test. Take it and go on and get your A. Everybody takes the same test, even those who flunk. The difference is those who know the material and know that they know. When they take the test, they get up without even having to get their grade. They know they pass. Ooh, give your neighbor a high five and say, I passed. I passed. And, and, and I, I didn't pass because it's not, it's not graded on a curve, by the way. No, no. I, I, I made an A. But let me tell you something. May I tell you something? And those of you who, who say, well, I've tried and tried. I keep failing and failing. The next test you take, let Jesus take it for you. Yeah. Let Jesus take the test for you. He'll do it. See, it's not, that's not wrong in, 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 in faith school. Somebody else can take your test. Who? Jesus. Jesus can sit down and take your test. And here's the thing that you'll learn about Jesus. That even if you turn in an F paper, Jesus will take it and correct all the wrong answers. And when it gets finally turned in, your final grade will be an A. That's how faith in Jesus works. Because by the way, no test, no testimony. Let's go a little deeper. Let's go a little further. Ah, look at verse five. And hope. Hope maketh not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given Unto us. So far in this chapter, Paul had written about faith and hope. Therefore, it's only right now that Paul begins to write about God's love. Yeah, because Paul says that this hope he's talking about refers to making not a shame. The word, quote, ashamed here means disappointed. In other words, Christian hope won't disappoint the believer. We will never be ashamed or disappointed in the hope we have of one day being made into the very image of Christ. You're not going to be ashamed. You can, get, you, you can get ashamed and disappointed and embarrassed sometimes in life. And it's happened to some of us who try to get in these get-rich-quick schemes, these uh, 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 direct marketing schemes. All of us, you know, fooled around with Amway trying to be a diamond and some other pyramid scheme trying to get rich quick and all you lose is your money. And, and you get so ashamed and you think, yourself, I can't believe I was that dumb. But Paul says that's not going to happen to you in Jesus. 
You're not going to wake up one day and figure out that you've wasted your time and money because your reward is certain. This hope, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, this expression, the love of God, reminds us that this love comes directly from God. The Greek verb here rendered shed abroad literally means to pour out. Therefore, what Paul was saying is God's love was poured out into our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. It's very important to understand that this is God's love, not our love, for our love is fleeting, temporary, temporal, but God's love is everlasting. When Paul used the words, the Holy Ghost, which is given to us, he probably had in mind what happened on the day of Pentecost when they all were with one accord in one place and they looked around and they saw these cloven tongues like fire and it set on all of them and they began to speak with other tongues. Uh, and, and, and Paul said, that, that Holy Ghost was a gift promised by Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going away, but I will send the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit that comes, that comes to us will move in with us, settle with us, walk with us, talk with us, keep us on the straight and narrow and allow us to live our lives not worried about whether we have to look over our shoulder that God's mad with us. Ah, Paul, thank you so much. Paul, Paul, Paul goes on to say, he says that, that once we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit, I told you, takes up residence in us and indwells our hearts. It becomes a referee. Y'all watch sports, you know the referee will tell you when you make a mistake, but the referee can't correct the mistake. The difference with us is when the referee throws a flag on us, when the devil throws a flag on us, the referee, which is the Holy Spirit, goes and picks the flag up and says, I got that, no penalty, keep playing. Woo! Watch verse six. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Woo. Let me tell you something. If you haven't done it yet in your Bible, right at that last end of the verse that says ungodly, just put a parenthesis there and put your name there and then put a closed parenthesis. So let me read it this way for myself. For when, we, when I was yet a, without strength, I was a sinner, in due time, Christ died for me. Yeah, don't, don't do it conceptually, the quote, ungodly. He's talking about sinners. That we, the whole human race, we, we were without strength. What do you mean without strength? We're weak and powerless to get ourselves back on track with God. The idea here is that God loved us when we were powerless to justify or save ourselves. We were completely powerless to cause any change in our sinful condition. But God had a plan to redeem fallen humanity and in due time, or at the right time, he sent Jesus into the world. What do you mean he sent Jesus? That is to say, y'all familiar with a lifeguard at, at a swimming pool or at a, at a beach? The lifeguard doesn't jump in the water if you're drowning to prove the lifeguard can swim. The lifeguard jumps in the water to save you. Everybody knows the lifeguard can swim. Jesus was the son of God. He, 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 he came to earth to save you. He was God's son while in heaven, God's son when he got to earth, God's son when he went back. He's always God's son, but he condescended. He came down to save you, to pull you out of the ocean so you wouldn't drown in a world of sin. Let's read verse seven. For scarcely a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man, someone even dare to die. Woo, Paul says, listen, 
He says, um, it's rare that anybody volunteers to take the place of somebody else who's going to die, even as a good person. I'm not doing it. I don't know about y'all. Y'all play if you want to. Paul says, a righteous man is one who's just, upright in character. Paul said, nobody will agree to take their place. Oh, no, 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 no. He said, a good man is also just and also kind. He said, but but about this person that one might even dare, meaning it's possible that somebody might want to die for a, quote, good man. Paul says, it's possible. He said, I doubt it. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus says, greater love have no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Now, change that word friends to enemies in John 15, 13. Could we still find a selfless person willing to make the supreme sacrifice, their life, for their enemies? No, but Jesus did because when we were sinners, we were enemies with God. God was our enemy. Yeah, he was. We didn't believe him. We wouldn't do what he said, but Jesus died for you when you were in your sins. Now, look at verse eight. Paul says, but God, he says, he's already said, who would die for a good man? Nobody. Who would die for a righteous man? Nobody. Who would die for a sinful man? Nobody. Paul says, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Another good place to put a parenthesis and put your name. When you were yet sinners, Jesus didn't die for righteous people or even good people. Human beings might do that. We do that in war all the time. We'll die for a cause. He died for sinners. Those were his enemies. God didn't wait until we had straightened up in our own lives as far as we could before acting to bring about our salvation. He did it when we were screaming in his face, yelling and going crazy and going the other way when we were yet sinners. God, Christ died for the ungodly. Now look at verse nine. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Listen, y'all, you've been caught red-handed when you're in sin. You've been caught red-handed. That comes from an old 15th century Scottish a legal term that where they would where they would arrest people who had blood on their hands, and they said we can arrest him because he's been caught red-handed or with blood on his hand. Listen, when you sin, listen, y'all, you've been caught red-handed, but the red on your hand is not the, your blood; it's the blood of Jesus. And because it's the blood of Jesus, although you've sinned and are a sinner or were a sinner before you got saved, oh my God, you're caught red-handed, but it's the blood of Jesus, and you're considered righteous by God through the blood of Jesus. Oh my God, verse. 10. I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying on trying to finish. Ah, for if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Last verse 11. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we now have received the atonement. Paul says, listen, we've got a peace treaty with God. Jesus negotiated a peace treaty between us and God and signed it in his own blood. Woo! Don't let the devil trick you into thinking that he's got something he's holding over your head. Don't let the devil trick you into thinking that he can trick you or make you feel badly about something you did last week, last year, last decade, last night. When you come to God, you're earnest in, in your heart and ask God to forgive you of your sin. And you, and you ask God to make you right with, with, with himself again by the blood of Jesus, 
It's not, I'm not giving you license, but I'm telling you when you do that, because God is a God of grace and love and peace. God says, will the defendants please rise? I know all this evidence is stacked against you. I know all this evidence is stacked against you. I know all these witnesses say you've sinned. I've seen your acts. I've seen your deeds. I know the verdict should be guilty. I know that's what the verdict should be. And if God raises that gavel, Jesus steps in and says, hold up, God. I want to speak on behalf of the defendant. I'll take his place. I will become sin and take his place. And God says to you and to me, not guilty. You've been caught red-handed, but the blood is the blood of Jesus. You are not guilty. Go your way and be in peace. Has the jury rendered its verdict? We have, Your Honor. We find the defendant not guilty. Y'all be blessed. See you next week.